Jess. I am joined by the Love Renaissance team. And I would love if each of y'all could just introduce yourself, what you do, and how you're feeling, more or less. Uh, I'll start. So my name is Junior Abedu. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. And my role within this um, amazing company is I run touring operations. And so, yeah, I mean, I oversee everything from our live strategy to how we handle and, and operate as a business on a day-to-day. And then the second part of the question was how I'm feeling right now, more or less. I feel good. Uh, it's a nice day. You know, I feel more or less really good. More or less really good. I'm Sean, um, co-founder as well. And I run marketing and brand partnerships over at LVRN, Love Renaissance. But, uh, you know, a lot of the storytelling, a lot of the marketing, a lot of the, you know, the partnerships, finding, you know, different brands or different entities that align with our core beliefs or some of our artists' core beliefs, kind of piecing together those creative partnerships, you know, just to try to make the impossible possible. And I'm feeling hopeful more or less, more or less hopeful. Hello, I am Sarita Butler. I am uh, born and raised, born and bred in Los Angeles, California. And I am a, um, I guess the director, but I am a person who runs the mental health and wellness division and department of Love Renaissance. I am a therapist. I've been a therapist for 14 years. And my role within LVRN is to create safe spaces for the staff, the executives, and the artists as a whole to be able to speak in and have a space where they can come and not just be heard, but also strategize ways to be the best versions of themselves, both within the the confines sometimes of this business we call the music business, which it could be really challenging and yet really rewarding. So I I give the space to to come and just be. Um, I also have an outside consulting company where we create mental health and wellness um, programs for the entertainment industry as a whole, making it um, possible. And I think what you know, LBRN has done and being the first company, the first record label to create in-house mental health and wellness is a beautiful thing. And hopefully they are the, the brain children of it being common practice in the industry as a whole. So I'm I'm grateful. And I I guess that would be my more or less right now. I'm a little tired, but I am more or less super, super grateful to LBRN and to you, Jessica, for having this platform. Well, thank you all for being here. Um, I have really wanted to do an episode with y'all since the second I read the article that this division was coming to life. So I'm really appreciative of your time and what you're doing. And I'd love to kind of hear more for the listeners that may not know the backstory, what led to the moment of saying, okay, this is something we need to implement for our artists and for our company. Um, yeah, I could take that one. So basically we recognized really early on in our company that, you know, all of our artists are different. A lot of them tend to be not the most uh, comfortable being outside all the time. 
most specifically, we had an artist who was about to go on a tour and she really, really hated the idea of touring as a whole, whether you're talking about, you know, the being away from home for months at a time, the having to um, perform on stage, the, you know, she was, she's not comfortable with the, with the concept of touring or she wasn't at that time. She's made strides since then, huge, huge strides. But so, it, you know, it got us thinking about ways that we could better support her while she was on the road. And then through that process and us having the, that thought process, we actually, Sarita connected with my business partner, Tunde, while on the road at a festival, I believe. I believe it was, a, I believe it was the, the um, Odd Future Tyler yeah. Festival. Right. Sarita met, they started to, to talk about what the possibilities would be to support the client that we had in mind. But then, you know, we started to think internally as a group, wouldn't it be great if we could provide this resource to, you know, other people on our staff, on our, you know, roster on an artist roster and Sarita actually had a mission of providing that type of support to record labels she had pitched it in the past you know she had been turned down and we had like having already recognized the importance of it and having it already been thinking about trying to provide that sort of resource it was really just kind of perfect us connecting and us trying to figure out a working relationship so it started there and then Sarita I don't know if you want to build upon that I think that's exactly right. We were at Camp Flognog, and I think it was just perfect synergy. All the stars were aligned, literally, to have a really thoughtful and intentional conversation on what it could look like. And then as we were developing it, the, the five of them were really, really intentional in saying, this is something that we want to provide. You know, we would like to have this for ourselves. And I think that was one of the first places where it really soared um, in the department really came to life, given that it's five men of color who are in a space that isn't traditionally set up or designed and they're young executives at that. And so really having thoughtful conversations around what does it mean to be an executive? What does it mean to be an executive in this climate? What does, what does communication mean amongst the five of them? And really taking it seriously amongst the five of them and, and us really talking through things. I think that's where the department really got its strength and momentum from. And then soon after that, COVID happened. <laughs> and then I think COVID was um, something that really expedited this process even more because we didn't know what was going to happen or what was going on. And so to have this resource that they were already thinking about and us being able to, I think we implemented, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean or Junior, I think we kind of got all the kinks knocked out in like early March and then COVID happened at the end of March into April. So it was like really just beautiful, perfect timing for a really unfortunate circumstance in the world. And on that note, since the height of COVID was when a lot of people needed support or really were able to slow down and now can focus on perhaps the challenges mentally that were coming up that we kind of just suppressed with what our daily lives were. So with that, you know, now that it's been a little bit that this has been up and running, what are kind of... The benefits you've seen, what have the hiccups been, and where do you see it growing from here? Um, so I mean, I, I think speaking of COVID, 
there was never such a more self-reflecting time period that I think any of us have ever been forced to have. And because of that, I think, you know, you were either left with your demons or you were left with your kids or a mix of both or whatever, what, what have you. And everybody was forced to just have certain conversations with themselves. And I think, like Sarita said, the timing couldn't have been better for us to start to develop a, a system of understanding these feelings and getting used to these feelings and, you know, changing certain habits or, or what have you, and just really designing a, a more regimented idea of, you know, taking care of yourself. Like I, I always say like we, we spend so much time trying to eat the right foods. We spend so much time, you know, going to the gym, but, you know, mentally, you know, we're, we're also putting wear and tear on that. So I think even just from the beginning of, as a company, the, the five co-founders having our first meeting with Sarita or, or first session with Sarita, it ended up being like two days, eight hours apiece, because what we didn't realize, although, you know, we some of some of us have known each other since 16 years old, there was still a lot of unspoken moments or things that may have rubbed one person the wrong way or you know, ideologies that one person may have that others didn't follow or, or just, you know, just, <clears throat> just having the, 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 the safety net of a third party to be able to have those conversations. And I think being able to explore that has, one, greatly, you know, even made our, rela- our relationship with each other even more healthy than it was. And two, given us tools to kind of sprinkle those same practices you know not only internally but to family members friends or artists engaging more people in you know taking up therapy and things of that nature like in their own ways and I think it's uh for the future I feel like the conversation is becoming even more and more open and more and more less you're crazy or whatever the case may be and I think that's that's helping especially the black and brown community who whom have usually been at the end of the line when it comes to signing up for for this type of help. And I think, you know, Sarita, you said something earlier of just giving people a space to just be. Um, I think that's something that we as a society struggle with in finding just spaces and places to just totally be ourselves and, and let the guard down. But I think particularly in the music industry, burnout is very, very real. And, you know, Sean and Junior, you guys have been doing this for such a long time. How have you both navigated, quote, hustle culture, <laughs> quote, burnout? What does that look like for you, even how it was 10 years ago to now? Uh, for me, I really had to learn that it, that burnout wasn't, you know, something, something that just had to be a part of the job, essentially. Because for me, I started out like focusing specifically on touring and so you know when you're on tours and, and tour management it's more specifically you're, you're managing a bunch of different people a bunch of different personalities and you're really you know the parent on the road moving people from point a to point b um making sure that the show happens on a night by night basis and it used to me working a burnout was something that was really common over the course of a tour and so I developed certain things to, to cope with that in the beginning that weren't, you know, the best things to, to cope with, with certain things. But more, more or less, though, I, you know, really just 
started to believe that that was part of the job. Like you had to work 12 plus hours a day. You had to do that every day. You had to be on emails when you, when you weren't in person. And so it wasn't until I started to try to look to different solutions to deal with the stresses of the job, whether it was like meditation was something that helped me a lot early on. It wasn't until I started, started to look into those things that I started to become familiar with the of, you know, working at your own pace and like giving yourself time to rest and like being kind to yourself so that you can do a better job rather than just trying to push through it and work through it. And then when I started to work with Sarita, I started to get a deeper understanding of that as well. And I think that it's a commonly held belief in all aspects of the music industry for you to have to burn out in order to compete. And I think that, you know, one thing that Sarita has been really instrumental in me understanding um, or getting a deeper understanding of is the fact that, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And you can actually do better work if you take the time to take care of yourself the proper way. And I guess on my end, you know, burnout, I got, I did, I never even really knew that that term existed until COVID and nobody would have thought that you would be burning out while at home. But I think just not having that separation between work and home is the perfect recipe for, for burnout. I guess for me, coping with burnout, uh, one, not being privy to the concept because you're just always like moving a hundred miles an hour. And, you know, we're, we're, we're raised on the, the belief that if you're, if you're sleeping, then you're weak, or if you, you know, who cares how, how much you had to eat or whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, for me, like I, I, I escape in, 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 in really weird movies and really long drives. So, you know, I, I would constantly, you know, drive to the desert certain days or drive to the mountains certain days. And just, you know, because my job is so heavily reliant on being able to be creative, not having the amount of human interaction that I was used to, I would have to find it in other ways or find inspiration in other ways. And if that was driving for a couple hours, just so I could see some things that I've never seen before, I haven't seen in a long time, or watching a movie that would just get my wheels turning. I think that's just um, how I kept my sanity because the idea of just white walls and the same walls every day or the same conversations every day is, is truly what would have drove, driven me mad more than the work itself, if that makes sense. But, um, but yeah. I'm still here, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I think too, Junior, you touched on it a little bit. You can't show up as your full self and be creative all the time and productive if you are so stuck in that 24-7 mode. You're, you're treating yourself better when you give yourself that space away from the work to then come back and show up stronger. And it's it's funny that we talk about this. I just had a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine, you know, how it's like, music industry is a 24 seven industry. And I, I, I think there's elements of that that are true, but I think it's on you if you want to make that a 24 hour job, you know, boundaries are important and it's a learning process for everyone. But I think the more we have these conversations and the more it's openly talked about, I think everyone will show up, you know, more healthy and satisfied in what they do rather than kind of just in the thick of everything every day. And Sarita, I wanted to ask you a bit more about your background, because what drew you to the wild world of music and wanting to, to work with artists? Um, so let's see, I 
did my undergraduate work in, in LA and then I moved to the Bay and did my graduate work there. And while I was in the Bay, I went to a kind of hippity dippity school um, that specialized in uh, holistic medicine. So I knew that I wanted to be a therapist. I knew that that was a space that that was really important to me, but I didn't want to prescribe meds because I kind of saw how medication kind of didn't always work or it was misused or, you know, how our population was highly over-medicated. So I didn't want to go the psychiatry route. Did a lot of time uh, with community mental health. So working with um, underserved communities, I did that for about 10 years because on the, on talking about burnout, that was an industry that really took a lot out of just people in general. And so when I made the transition to music, there was a couple turning points or pivotal moments. There was a record executive. There was a couple record executives that I had known kind of from the periphery that um, took their life. And that was something that was really impactful uh, to me because one of them in particular was a young man who was who had a really promising career and to the outside world, it looked like his life was completely lit, you know, had the best of everything. He was at the height of his career. He had worked with some of the biggest hip hop artists. And when we found out, when the world found out that he lost his life um, to suicide, it was a huge blow to the hip hop community and just the music business as a whole. So that was the first real pivotal moment for me. And then the other two pivotal moments for me individually was when Amy Winehouse passed on and just how tragic her story was to, you know, from the things that we had heard and the tabloids and things. And then also the passing of Whitney Houston. So these two really, in my opinion, very iconic artists and how much they gave to their craft and gave to the world of music and for them both to die in such a tragic, in my opinion, tragic way, it really spoke to me that there is something that could and should be done and that we are losing people that are not just dynamic, but like the voices of generations and, you know, the, the seventh and eighth wonder of the world in terms of their voice and the way that we viewed them. And there was such a level of unhappiness or seemingly unhappiness that their lives turned out to be so tragic. That was a huge eye-opening moment for me. And I was just like, I got to do something. I, you know, there has to be something put into place where we don't lose another artist, whether it was to overdose, whatever it is, our artists and the people that give so much should be able to pass on gracefully and live a full life. And so that's the artist side, but then there's the executive side in, in terms of the, the young man that passed away. And it's like, you know, what is happening in the music business where people are taking their lives, not just artists, but executives. And so that then kind of birthed um, my company to really seek ways to be of support and not just be the therapist. Because for a long time, I've been the therapist that people call, that managers call when there is a problem. But it's like, 
what can we do in-house? So then that got me thinking about how we have vocal coaches and choreographers and all these line items that A&R and the companies, the labels really, and management companies put forth to make sure that the artist is doing their best. But what about their mental health? What about their financial health? What about all these other pivotal points that can support them in longevity? So that was a very long-winded, my apologies, way of saying it's 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 been a long time coming. No, I, I'm smiling because I'm so happy that there's people out there that are passionate about this work. I think I am very young and have a lot more that I want to do in my career, but that's been one of the, the questions where I raise my hand and I'm like, how come there isn't a division for mental health. How come that's not an extension of the team? And you know, I, I ask those very curious questions because it's it's important and I really admire everything y'all are doing. I think it's really forward thinking and it's making a difference. So I'll close on this last question. What advice would you give to that young manager or that young publicist, the young label exec who's working with an artist that is struggling and doesn't know which way to look, what's up, what's down, what would you say to that person? Uh, I would say find that happy balance of what the world is and what the world that you want to make is. And I only say that because in this industry, it's, it's, it's never going to be perfect. In, in, in looking for it to be perfect, you may waste a lot of your time but finding that happy medium of what you're willing to endure and what you're willing to stand up against and fight against and, and, and change as well or alter, I think is, is the happy medium that you can survive as long as you want to in this wild industry. So yeah, it's, 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 it's really just about, you know, making what you want of it to be for who you are. And, and I, and the second thing I'll say is just constantly analyze if you're happy. You know, uh, I think uh, sometimes what made you happy at 20 may not make you happy at 30 and you being confused as to why you're not anymore could just be a simple conversation that you failed to have with yourself. So checking in, I guess, is the term. Yeah. For me, it would be to enjoy the process for one, um, which is really hard to do when you're burning yourself out consistently. So it's like taking a step back, being able to enjoy the journey of, of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. And then for two, you know, kind of like what Sean just said, just understand that in the industry and in life, you know, it's not one size fits all. So it's like, you can't treat every artist the same for the young manager. You can't treat every artist the same and expect them to succeed. Part of being a good manager is understanding who your artist is and bringing out the things that are naturally, you know, star qualities in them and, and putting them on a grand scale. And I think that applying that same logic to your journey as an executive or whatever it might be in that, in the world, you know, is, is important to understanding what you actually want out of it, what actually makes you happy about the industry that you're in and not just accepting the formats of the, you know, what other people's, model of happiness within the music industry is supposed to be. Maybe your model of happiness is not to sell a billion records. Maybe you want to have, you know, 20,000 people that really love you and you can, you know, feed your family off of that. Like, you know, that's okay. There's different, there's different models for happiness. So those would be the two things. 
And I think I would say to the young executive, the young PR person and the young manager to really have grace with not only yourself in this process and in this journey, but others, especially given the fact that everyone doesn't do life the same way that we do life. And so having grace and understanding that if you want to have longevity in this profession and in, in, in this industry, being really, really mindful about setting and creating great habits at the very beginning as much as you can and not for those that PR, that executive, that manager with their artists or within themselves, not waiting to the last minute or not waiting till everything has you know, gone in the toilet to then seek out support. As a therapist, as a therapist who leads teams of therapists and has a company full of therapists, the one thing that I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt is we do our best work when we're not doing damage control. When we're not attempting to pick up the pieces from some tragic situation or some crisis. Crisis control and crisis management, yes, we do it, but that is not our desired space to be. That's why I think what LVRN has done is so groundbreaking because all of the artists that come into this space and all the employees, everyone has the ability to start with having good habits. And so we can create a space where whatever is going on in your life, it gets amplified when you're on the road or it gets amplified when you're stressed out or it gets amplified when something tragic happens. So putting, putting coping mechanism and coping strategies in place early is so crucial because when the bottom does fall out, you know how to handle it. Because one thing in the music industry, the bottom will fall out. You will get fired. You will have a crisis. You will have something tragic happen. You will be disappointed. It, it all comes with the, the, the name of the, the game. And so how do you pivot and, and bounce back from that is super important. And that's what creates longevity. That is 100% what I think sums it up in what you just said, keeping yourself afloat and how you navigate those crises or that they don't get to a crisis. It's all about how you're showing up and coping skills. Exactly. Thank you guys so, so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. More or less with Jess.